community is much more than belonging to something. It's about doing something together that makes belonging matter. Hello, everyone. Steven here with another episode of Apples and Coffee. Today, I am joined by two amazing guests, Ms. Valeria and Mr. Jesse, both of which run or work in programs that support communities that they have lived in, currently live in, or have worked in. And I'll allow them out right now. They will now introduce themselves a little bit and tell you a little bit about their journey to where they're at. Yeah, I'll go ahead and go first. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Valeria Morales, and I am the program director for a nonprofit organization called Eagle Scholars. Um, and we pretty much help students in the Vigory Meadow community get information about college and then help them apply for college, get all the scholarship and all that good stuff, and then just still mentor them throughout their college journey. Hey, I'm Jesse Acosta. I am the co-founder and executive director of Pajos World Cliff. Our mission is to uh, attack education inequities through uh, unorthodox ways, specifically sneakers. And, you know, we started in 2020. Since then, we started giving out shoes to students in April. We've grown to providing scholarships and most recently summer education programs. And so we try to base all of our things around sneakers because I'm, I'm a huge sneakerhead myself and, and the team is as well. We're all sneakerheads. And so, uh, you know, we try to, we're trying to tackle education through a different lens. Okay, so y'all just both hit on what your organizations do. I've worked with Eagle Scholars. I haven't worked with uh, Passions for Cliff, but I have been following everything that you've been doing. Huge fan of you starting your own. Well, first of all, I'm a huge fan that not only did you start the organization, but you still stayed in education while doing the organization. That's what I have mad props that you decided to stay in the classroom and do that at the same time, because I know that the time required for that is tremendous. And I have to give you all the props for doing that. So good on you for doing that, because that's absolutely amazing. Real quick. So you both briefly touched on how it impacts your community, but I want to go in a little bit more details. So let's go with this letter first. So you say Eagle Scholars helps with college readiness. What does that look like? Yeah, so it looks a little different every single year just because the um, program director in the past, Janet, she actually really um, tried to approach it differently every single year just to fit what the scholars really wanted to learn. So um, when I was in the program, it was very different. We had classes on like different careers that we were interested in doing. Um, we had like scholarship workshops where they helped us write essays and get all of those submitted and just really help us get the money to be able to go off to college. We did a lot of college uh, field trips. So we did a lot of touring of different universities. And that's something that we try to kind of keep the same this past summer. This was our first summer back in person from COVID. So it was a little hectic, but it, it, it worked. All the students were super happy to be back in person and just working together. So I think they enjoyed all the field trips that we had. I do think that this summer was, even though I was only there part-time, I think you did a great job <laughs> considering all the challenges and it was fun. And so good job on you for helping put that together and for it being so short too, to still have the amount of engagement that you had considering that a lot of our middle school kids only had a month off was uh, pretty good. So good job. Thank you. Thank you. I was a little concerned that I didn't do it the way that it should have gone. But again, with the short notice that one, we didn't have a space to host the camp. 
this summer. And then just randomly the high school and the community was like, you know what, you can actually stay here. Um, and then we only got three classrooms to try and serve about 60 students that were coming in person Monday through Thursday. Yeah. We had a lot of, a lot of challenges, but the projects at the end, we had our, um, our program finale on the last day where we hosted like all of the different career findings that the scholars were passionate about. Um, we did kind of like a networking uh, type of flow in the library. And so a lot of the, a lot of our guests came in and got to see what the scholars were really interested in as far as their careers. And it was just amazing, like actually being able to see what they were able to put together and the different tools. Like I'm thinking, oh, they're going to put like a PowerPoint together, right? No, these kids were making like TikTok videos. They made a whole like advertisement type of show. It was amazing. So I'm happy that they were able to get something out of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Jesse, so you said you started off with sneakers. So can you talk about a little bit about that and then what made you or what made you progress to um, scholarships and maybe talk about a little bit about your long-term goals for this new organization? We started doing shoes because well, like I said earlier, I'm 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 a, I'm a huge sneakerhead. I have more shoes than anybody should have. But the way that I kind of look at it, you know, I have so many shoes that I maybe I'm being a little bit uh it is wasteful with, with shoes and environmentalism. At least I, that's the way that I try to justify it to myself because they have longevity. But anyways, yeah, my first year as a teacher, you know, we our first year, uh, when, when I met my students, the first thing that I would do is I would look at their shoes before I would look at them. And it sort of turned into, a, I guess, that's the way that I bonded with my students. Just by, they would look at my shoes, I would look at their shoes. And one thing that I, that I soon just started to realize was that I just made the connection my first year. Uh, that students with worn out shoes were more likely to sort of uh, be sort of shy, maybe get a bu- get bullied every now and then in the hallways. And I started noticing a connection between that and their grades. Uh, those students usually didn't perform the best. Uh, now, I mean, it could have been a lot of different factors, right? But it's just a, the small connection that I saw there. And I really didn't start to think about doing anything with shoes until I had this one student that, that came into my classroom and you can see his uh, his sock. Because whenever he would walk, the sole would come apart from the upper of the shoe. And so, I mean, the solution was, right, like, he's, he needs a new pair of shoes. And, I mean, this was my first year teaching. I didn't really know, like, do I just show up with a new pair of shoes? Like, do I bring more attention to the problem? Because he knew about it. Like, like uh, people were, were will point it out and whatnot. Well, students will point it out. But I never really did anything about it. And that was the end of that. Um, and then COVID hits, a lot of my students start messaging me that, you know, their parents are getting laid off, uh, fat family members are being hospitalized. And, um, even my grandparents, they, they got hospitalized. So I, I could relate to those financial issues. Uh, now my family was in a better situation to where it, it wasn't as, as a big of an impact, but I couldn't imagine what my students were going through. And so that's when I started to talk about talking to my co-founder Alejandra, which is also my girlfriend about, you know, wanting to do something for the, for the kids. And we sort of went back to what we love, which which is shoes. And uh, and since then, you know, it's really grown to like I I wouldn't have thought we would be here two years. We just turned two years on August third. Sorry, August second. It was just our second our second birthday. You know, right after the 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 shoes, we uh, started to look at how how else can we can we help the community, and and we landed on scholarships because Alejandra she is uh, she's a DACA recipient. You're familiar with the program. She has to apply every year to be able to work. And one thing that she struggled with was scholarships. And so that, that was really easy for us to sort of uh, start doing next. And then it just didn't feel, at least for me, enough. You know, once we kind of got the ball going, I just wanted to keep doing more and more and more. <laughs> uh, and well, 
after we went back to the classroom, what was it this this year, right? Because like, even last year was still COVID year, technically. Well, yeah, last year was like, I don't know how your school did it, but we were like, most of our kids were in school last year. We had a few stragglers who were online, but most of them were in um, school. So it would be the school year for 2021, 2022 then? Because for, for me, yeah, at that least... Was a, yeah, that was a hybrid. Well, 2020, 2021 was the... I'm so confused. This COVID year. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's, it's sort of a blur, man. Like, yeah, 2020, 2021. Yes, because we just did 2021, 2022. 2020, 2021... I didn't see any kids in my classroom, man. Like I probably had like 10 show up the first day. And then as the days trickled, I had zero coming into my classroom. Oh, and, and well, you know, the fear coming back into the classroom this, this last year, 2021, 2022 was the, the, the learning gaps these kids were, were going to come in with. And some of my students, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. Uh, some students couldn't read. Some students were behind gradable by two grades or even more. Um, and just by looking at that, I didn't really see the, uh, hope this is where I kind of get a little political. Uh, I didn't really see the district or, or the government trying to do much about that issue. And so I started, you know, we, we have a small team now, uh, we're all volunteers. Somebody gets paid in a nonprofit. We started to talk about, about what, what could it look like for us to tackle that issue? And so that's when we started talking about the fossil all-stars program, which we just did it this, this, uh, in June to try to close those gaps in math and literacy, just because that's where we saw the biggest gaps. And so, yeah, I mean, everything we, we do is really inspired just by what I experienced in the classroom and what I see when it's not being done either by the state or by the district. And that's where we're at right now. And I think we're, we're pretty happy with those three components. I like that. Well, shoot. So the last couple of summers, I have worked with Eagle Scholars being the, what is it, a AD? That, that's what it's called? Or more like a yeah yeah let's let's get the titles right um like assistant director yeah assistant director like, more like a technical advisor but yeah but i would love to come down to oakland for a volunteer for a summer and do that i really don't know how to take time off i can't take too much time off guys be crazy you're always going um i have a question for jesse so is your program um only running during the summertime like is it just a summer camp and you guys don't do anything um during the school year for so for, for our shoe drive it's pretty much all year long now we do a shoe drive at least once a month for the all-stars work we're currently looking for funding to be able so what we did in the summer like i said you know, we we uh it was a it was a month-long program the kids were able to uh take class in uh, algebra one English one, they were all eighth graders going into freshman year. Just because if you look at the, the the star data, that's where they really begin to fall behind uh, the most. And then as they get a freshman year, well, they're behind. And by the time they're a sophomore, now they're even more behind. And it just keeps growing and growing as they if they don't if those gaps don't get closed early enough, it just keeps growing. And so we we took those two classes, English one, uh, English one, algebra one, and then they took the uh, the senior class, which which I thought I taught. And in that class, we synchronized. Uh, uh, algebra one english one for them to create their own shoe from scratch and so now what we're trying to do is find grants to keep working with these kids and make sure they don't fall behind and so as of now we're still applying for grants there's a lot of no's <laughs> i mean none of us know how to do grant writing so we're learning as we go and uh but it's a fun process but yeah i'm, I'm hoping to be able to keep working with these kids because i i miss them uh, they were, I mean, they were all eighth graders going to freshman year, which I always, I, I mean, I'm a high school teacher, so I've always had older kids. It's just different. And I mean, I'm sure um, Mr. King can talk more about that. I mean, he, he works with eighth graders. Uh, I don't know. They're fun. I, I didn't expect that. Oh, yeah. Middle school is 
I, I still think middle school is the best because they're all over the place. I'm actually going down to sixth grade this year, though, so that's going to be a new change for me because I'm basically getting elementary babies. But I'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks at an, on another episode. Uh, Valeria, what made you go back to Eagle Scholars since you grad, you you are a product of it, and then you decided to come back and work with it? So, what is what influenced your decision to come back to the program? I had an answer for that when I first started working with Eagle Scholars, and I feel like now it's been a little confusing trying to answer that. I would say probably like to begin with, like the first one of the the things that I noticed about myself, even when I was in college, like I was constantly helping my family, like any of my cousins, my sisters apply for for school and just kind of get a good understanding on like, this is what you're going to um, be receiving once you start your first year and how do you apply for housing and all those kind of things. So I was naturally doing what I currently do with Eagle Scholars with my friends, my family. So it was, it just kind of made sense for me to come back in. I always thought it was just an awesome program. You got to do a lot of different things. Um, I never really knew what I wanted to do when I was older. So the fact that with Eagle Scholars, you're able to learn about so many different careers. It almost felt like this job is going to let me be an engineer for a day. This job will let me be a teacher for a day. This job will let me understand how the medical field works. So it it had a lot of gain, but then also in a way that I was giving back to the students um, that are now in the program. But yeah, that's actually one of my jokes that I would say when when I was talking to people, like, if you stick with the program, it works. I promise, because I know it does. So it's a good time. Hopefully that your personal journey helps keep some of our older scholars from floating away like it happens yeah that that's the probably the most challenging part and i don't know jesse if you feel the same way but just retention with students being involved in in extracurricular activities whether that's at school or that's outside of school with like a community organization it's just so hard trying to keep them coming back every single day or once a week whatever the case is just i don't know i don't know what it is um my idea to to kind of try and tackle that on with the Eagle Scholars program was to have parent meetings, get the parents a little more involved. I noticed that we were working a lot through the student. So when field trips were coming around, hey, do you want to go to this um, field trip to the zoo? They would say yes. And then the day comes, oh, actually, my mom told me I can't go because we're doing X, Y, Z. Well, did you not tell your mom that you signed up for your field trip? So we were working a lot through the students. And that really it was showing when it came to who's showing up for these, these trips or these events. Um, But yeah, definitely trying to get the parents a little more involved. And it's just, it's tough because of the language barrier that we have. We have about, I want to say 32 languages that are spoken in the Vickery Meadow community. So you can Mm -hmm. only imagine how many scholars um, we have and we would need to like translate for whenever we are sharing information with them. No, that's why when I get my when I get my my ESL students last year, I had seven different languages in my ESL. I had to. Yeah. Yeah. Seven, seven different languages. I had to service uh, students and it's usually about five to seven every year. So I'm expecting more of that today. Just to touch on that language barrier. Your yeah. students feed into Conrad High School, right? Yes. OK. So both of you actually because Jesse's teach at the high school where he went to high school, I believe. Right, Jesse? Yeah, that's, that's correct. So both of you are still working in or working to start organizations that are in where you used to live. So my question is, when you were growing up in these areas, were there other 
Well, we already talked about Valeria because she was a product of Eagles, Eagle Scholars, but she might have another one. But what other, how important were these organizations to you or were there other organizations that you were part of growing up or did you see that lack and you wanted to fix that? Like, how did that impact you to help get you to where you're at today? Well, I think for me, you know, because Eagle Scholar sort of, sort of reminds me a little bit of, because I was, I'm going to be honest with you, I was reading your mission and vision on your website right now as you're talking. Because uh, I think I missed some some key points. So actually, we just had our shoe drive from eight to like two p.m. So if this is going on YouTube, it, my face looks like like I don't off every now and then. Uh, it's starting to hit a little bit, but I'm I'm not, I'm I'm tentative. But I, I, yeah, it sort of reminds me of a uh, upper upper bound. I don't know if you've heard of that before uh, with Trio Upper Bound. I know uh, SMU has one. Uh, it used to be at Mountain View. That's that's where I was at Mountain View College, which is like a uh, a five, eight minute drive from, from my high school, Kim, uh, Kimball. And they were sort of do the same, but it's, it's, uh, I believe you would enroll once you were in high school. So not in middle school. And mostly what they would focus on though is mostly like college advising, even having you take early college classes while you were in high school. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're part of the reason that I was able to get, I think like four or five credits before I even graduated from, uh, from Kimball. And I remember they took us on college tours. We went to New York once. Um, I wasn't there when I went to Boston. But what I like about Eagle Scholars is that it seems so y'all, because I'm reading again, I'm reading the website. There's not a lot of programs that keep up with students after high school. You know, I don't want to throw any nonprofits out there that currently work with the ISD. But that's one thing that I criticize them a lot for. They, they do all the work while they're in high school, but they do very little after they leave. I think that's a problem, right? That's why we have so many minority students dropping out from college because they, the support system leaves once they graduate high school. And that's one thing that, that at Paso, so we, I mentioned earlier, we have the scholarship. One thing that we try to do is keep up with them because we, we we're a small nonprofit. We don't bring in a lot of money. And like I said, I mean, we're all volunteers. So we're giving you a scholarship and we want, we want to make sure you graduate because right. we're giving you money. It's money that we could be using to help other kids, but instead we're investing in your future. So I really like that, that y'all keep Try to keep up with these students, you know, throughout their their years in college. And I was reading that you're even trying to do even more with that, which is really cool. Yeah, uh, but I, so it's definitely challenging um, because they've been in the program since they were in seventh grade. So as a sixth grader, we go in and recruit, talk about Eagle Scholars. A lot of them are just like, I don't even know what I'm going to do tomorrow. And you expect me to want to know what college I'm going to. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you we're, we're here to help you do that. But yeah, they've been at, at that point, if they do join when they're in sixth grade or apply when they're in sixth grade, they get accepted and start the summer before their seventh grade year. And then they're expected to stay consistent all the way up until they graduate high school in order to be able to receive our scholarship. So we do help them apply for other scholarships and get like all the funding that they need. But then if there's still like, I don't know, like three, $4,000 left that they need to cover room and board or whatever, whatever the case is, then that's where we provide our own scholarship that they can also apply for. So they, there is that incentive for them to continue to, to keep in contact with us once they're in college. But I, I do sense that they're burnt out at that point because they've been so involved for so many years that by the time that they're in college, they're like, I already moved on. Like, I just want to focus on my education in college and my experience here. But yeah, it's definitely a challenge trying to still be there for them and support them throughout their college journey. But it's definitely necessary, especially as minorities. Like you don't really get that. You get support from your family. And I speak from experience. You you do have that support, but it's different when you're talking to someone who actually understands what you're going through and not 
your mom just saying, si puedes, mija, you know what I mean? So <laughs> <laughs> it's a challenge. Yeah, I think when the kids try to get off, when they go to college, they feel like sometimes they might know it all by then and not realizing the new challenges that await them and how important that support is. So I guess it's just trying to sell the extra support that they'll need by addressing challenges that they may face early on. Well, I do like, I so like you, I like it when I get I, the scholars come back after they like get to college, they come back a year after being in college so they can talk to the kids about their experiences or once they graduate, they come back. I like that. I never really had an organization that was, I mean, it, it probably existed in my neighborhood. Maybe I was just never a part of one. Um, being a teacher now, I kind of wish that I had the opportunity to be a part of like some kind of have some kind of uh, community engagement where to live and everything. But no, it didn't exist. And I mean, I guess maybe it not existing helped make me who I am today. But it's definitely something that I will, now that I'm a father too, I would definitely like for my kids to uh, be a part of a program or programs like this that uh, help the students as early as possible. And one that obviously, so having you two in here gave me something to think about, especially how Jesse mentioned about the other organizations that um, work with DISD that stop following up with students after they graduate high school. So that makes me, I never really thought about that. So now that I know that, I wrote a note of it because I want to keep that in my brain. So when my kids join, organization or organization comes to their school to try to help them if the organization doesn't stay with those students after high school I can put a pause in that be like uh, I'll think about you because I want someone who's going to be there for the whole person until they're ready to really be put out there into the world I appreciate that I would say just to add on even more to that the reason why Eagle Scholars has been so successful for so many years I mean I think this program has been going for I mean I graduated high school in 2015 and I was in it my sixth grade year, and I was the third class when the program first started. So yeah, it's been around for some time. But the reason why it's so successful, um, because the program director at the time, she was very adamant about making relationships with the scholars. It was all about, let me get to know you. Let me get to know your family. Let me understand your upbringing. What are you interested in? So it was a very personal relationship that she would build with the students, and it made more of that connection that a lot of the nonprofit organizations don't have the time to do. It's not that they don't want to. It's just, it takes a lot to, I mean, just think about it. Like both of you guys being teachers, if you were to have an hour long conversation with each student in one classroom that you have, you know, say about 20 students, like that's a lot to try and keep up with over so much time. Now think about that in the perspective of where you're running an organization and you have 80 to 100 students in it. And how are you supposed to make each and every single student feel special to keep them wanting to be involved in the program and to let them know that you care and that you support them. So it's definitely taxing on the person who's trying to run the organization. So I see why not a lot of them take that approach where they're trying to keep in contact with them once they're in college, because it's just so much time consuming trying to build those relationships and keep up with the students. I had wrote down because I don't know if I, I could ever do it because of I mean, I don't want to say never, but I do got my hands in a lot of things right now. And now that I got this little baby that I'm doing right now, which I hope to grow. But I would. So I thought about community organization that I would like to do. 
and I don't know all the laws here in Dallas about it, but I don't, but I would love to do something focusing around food because I am a chef. So I was thinking about community gardens, something that helps build, increase the uh, healthy eating habits of the students that I serve or communities that I serve, uh, help combat this preservative, pre-processed food environment that we live in and just get more fresh things out there. And then maybe I could get the scholarships one day. That'd be nice too. Like come get a, some tomatoes and get a $5,000 scholarship. That would be the dream. I don't know if I ever find the time for that though. It might be once I become a, actually no, cause I lose time once I become an AP, right? So it's not even be worse. I mean, you could do it like once a, once a semester, have like a community event and that's, that's your way of doing it. But no, I really want like a community garden that is cultivated year round, seasonal. We rotate out our fruits and vegetables and everything. There is one in Vickery Meadow down the street from Tasby, actually, all the way down Ridgecrest, right next to the other smaller school on the other end. Oh, is that a garden over there? Yeah, but there's a there's one in the area. I just I don't know who is in charge of it or who like manages it but it's definitely not being taken care of so there's your opportunity right there i didn't know that was a garden i know what you're talking about tomatoes might have to inquire about that yeah that reminds me of uh i think it's on netflix he's a rapper from atlanta and he has this show i'm trying to remember the show of it but he he goes to different places throughout the united states he's mostly visiting uh and he does a lot of uh things that are interesting but there's one episode where he visits one of these gardens that you're sort of describing steven and it's a nonprofit. i believe it's in Atlanta or chicago i forget where it is that but they do that they 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 cultivate this like mini farm that they they bought year round and they do it to serve a uh it's a community that's considered a food desert if i remember that correctly it's a really cool series but i forget the, the rapper's name i think it's like mike or something oh killer mike Killer Mike, yeah, there you go. The him. Killer yeah. Mike, yeah. It's a really cool show. Because uh, even he even has an episode about like uh, black businesses and and he tries to support only black businesses, I think, in Atlanta. But it became Athens, Atlanta. And it was really, I think, it was really hard for him to be able to find black owned businesses. And anyways, it was it's a it's a trip of a show. If you yeah. haven't watched it, so for anyone who's out there listening, I believe the show is Trigger Warning with Killer Mike. Unless it's another show, but I think that's what it is. But yeah, highly recommend it. The uh, where I went to college, FAMU, I think it's FAMU that has a community garden that they run, like the students run in FAMU that I believe is free access to the uh, people who live there. But the students are the ones who cultivate it and keep up with it and everything. I believe that's how that works. But I used to drive by there all the time, and I'm just I just look at it and be like, that's so beautiful. Yeah, I think we visited one with TFA, didn't we? Our oh. first year. I think they were, I think the school got a grant and they were, they were in the process of making that community garden. But I, I think they were making it. But yeah, I'm a, something about, I just love the idea. I love the community garden and like, uh, like, what is it called? Like a hydroponics farm where like the recycled water from the fish waters like the plants and stuff. And it's just a self sustaining um, environment. Now to the, the good stuff. Uh, you can say as much or as little as you want about this one, but uh, Jesse did touch on it a little bit about those organizations who, you know, don't follow up with the kids after high school. That's a criticism. I, I would consider that a big criticism because I think that you should follow up to the kids through college to make sure that they graduate. 
especially when there's plenty of data that shows our minority students having the lower graduation rate. So I feel like you should go out of your way to make sure that they graduate. So I want to talk about the future of organizations or community organizations. Uh, has there been a decline over the years or a reemergence? I will go to you two because you two are more involved in this aspect than me. I can only go about what I read and news and everything, but I haven't really worked with a community organization until I joined Hill Scholars, and that's been the last couple of years. But I can't talk about the types of people who run these organizations. I know it's kind of like a broad thing, so we could jump into either one. I will say that I wrote the type of people who run because I have this fear of people exploiting Black and brown communities, exploiting, the, exploiting them like they're there to do the minimum help, but to help raise their their platform or help raise them up. Just, you know, like, kind of think about like photo ops, right? Like people who come in, like have their little organization come in, do a little photo op. Hey, look at us doing this good thing. Like, oh, look at you. Here's more money. And then off they go, right? And how much are they really putting back into it with the amount of money that they get? So that's just something that I, I worry about. But have y'all seen an increase of more organizations popping up? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Like, what's your thoughts on that? I I don't, it's, it's kind of hard for me to answer that question um, because I've, so I've, yes, I was in Equal Scholars as a student, um, but I only started in December as a program director for the organization. So I actually found more nonprofit organizations that I thought we had access to in the Vigory Metal community. So it's kind of hard for me to say like that there's a decline in that. I would say just far as like attendance and participation from the students, I mean, that's kind of been all around the place because of COVID and students not living in the community anymore and all of that jazz. But yeah, I've actually found more. I think being piggyback of Valeria, I would agree. I think of, uh, I mean, so I'm very new to the nonprofit world. Like I have still very little experience uh, like even when we filed for, for our articles of incorporation, they would do it correctly. I don't know. We'll figure it out one day if Texas ever comes down knocking my door that I did it wrong. But I, I think I think I've seen more nonprofits come about ever since I started getting more involved in the nonprofit world. But I I think that's normal because not enough. I mean, just from what I read and what I've learned, not every nonprofit is gonna make it. And that's just you know, it's just a reality. Some of them are not gonna make it either because of a, most likely a lack of funds or a lack of effort from from the co-founder or, or the group that founded the org, whatever it might be. Uh, so I think I've actually seen more come up, but sort of like those questions that, that, that Stephen's asking, right? Like with the, the accountability piece of it, one thing that I have seen mostly, I don't want to, I want to be careful with, with what I say here because I, I could name drop people. I could, I could give you some names, but I don't want to do that. Yeah, I've yeah. seen some organizations that you know, kind of like you say, right? Like they they do the the little very minimum minimum work, take the photo. Oh, here's a ten thousand, fifty thousand dollar check. Good job, and they move on from the donors or whatever. Uh, I think that the most common one that I see though is uh, the illusion the illusion of of impact, and by that I'm referring to. See, that's, I'm gonna just give you the example. And a lot of nonprofits do this. Uh, <laughs> So if anybody listening gets offended by this, that's just the way that I view it. Feel free to email me at acosta.org and change my mind about it. But these pop-up events that we very often see, like free school supplies, free food, free whatever, I see that as an illusion of impact. 
Because are you really targeting the, the audience that needs that food, that needs those backpacks, that needs whatever you're giving out? Are you really families that need it? Because very often what I see is that anybody can come and get it. And they might they might be driving it in a, a nicer car than what I And they're coming up and getting it. And uh, to me, it's just not, you know, it's, I feel like that's something nonprofits are doing to be able to report that we gave X amount of backpacks or X amounts of whatever. But are you really having an impact though? Are you targeting the right families? And that's why with, with our shoe drives, we're, we're really like intentful and we really vet these families because we, we, when we first started, uh, we never did it that way to begin with. It was always pre-registration, vetting the families. But at first, you know, when we first started, a lot of families did, like I'll admit it, a lot of families did slip through the cracks because we didn't, we weren't that well prepared to do that kind of work. And we had people pulling up in really nice cars, maybe like even like cars of, of whatever that year was. And, or maybe, maybe the mom had a full set of like nails. Like you can tell she had just done them within the, within the last few days. And so we've become more strict with, with how we pick our families and who we partner with to help us identify those families. But I feel like that's, that's something that at least from what I've seen that a lot of nonprofits sort of do, they just sort of uh, open it up for anybody to come and grab it because on paper, it looks nice. You can report that you gave a lot of stuff, but is it really having the impact that you're looking for? That's the other question that, that I really don't get a response to or see much of a response when I, when I research their work. That's, That's my, I like, my that illusion of, I like that illusion of impact. So it makes me think, I worry that people who share a lighter skin complexion than us, uh, like to think that what we need is a handout instead of like an opportunity. So their organization is more involved in giving handouts than providing opportunities. I feel like what we need are opportunities, doors open, so we can show that we are just as capable as everyone else. We don't need handouts. And so that's just something that I worry about. Like backpacks are nice and everything, but what about having a space where kids can come uh, collaborate with each other and build something of their own? instead of the backpacks. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It's just something that I think about. What are your thoughts on that broad topic, Ms. Valeria? Uh, I think all of these questions are hard for me to answer because I'm just so new to the nonprofit world. Um, I've always been in a space where the person in charge was white. So I don't know what it would look like otherwise. I think intentions are are always good. It's just how it's being received to them. Like, you know, it's not about, it's not about the person giving out the information or giving out the backpacks, the food, whatever the case is, it's about the community that's receiving it. And so as long as the focus is there, I think it's, you know, cool and it's fine. Um, For me, the part that I kind of get bothered with is like when the attention is turned over to like, it's me that's doing all of the saving. So that's the part that I'm like, is that right? And I will say that there are black and brown people who are guilty of exploiting their communities also for their own benefit. So it's just it's not uh, evil white folks, but you know, we're 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 guilty of doing it ourselves, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think that feeds into uh another thing and uh, I'll stop the controversial issues here. I think one thing that I've seen there's also for some reason and I, I guess I kind of get it when it comes to funding, right? Or just getting the resources that you need. It seems like a lot. I'm not going to say a lot. It seems like some some nonprofits or just organizations owned by people of color. For some reason, there's, there seems to be like a tension between them. 
and they're competing and i get it they're competing they 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 think they're competing for the resource or the money or the funds or the in-kind donations whatever it might be uh which can sort of turn into a nice messy cycle that's just what some of the things that i've seen and trying to collaborate with other nonprofits. that it sort of seems like you're you might take away my donors like nah, well, you know i don't know oh i didn't think about that but and so at this point it seems like you're fighting each other and trying to do the same thing trying to say uh, so how about come together work up and you know tackle those dollars together so everybody can eat at the table and be successful yeah i don't this whole well i believe that that part is generational actually i mean i feel like it might be that generational trauma of us having to like fight for scraps for so many years with so little and everything and it's just part of that whole process that we have to grow out of which might take a couple more generations unfortunately so where would you like to so i want to end um with one last question where so think about the future your future uh the work that you're doing and everything where would you like to see yourself the organization you're working with, the organization you might want to work with or start with, where do you see yourself in the next five, seven years? Or where do you see your organization in the next five to seven years? Well, you know, you you referenced this a couple of times at this point that I'm that, uh, that I'm still teaching. I think ideally I would like to go full time with a nonprofit. I think at, at this point, uh, I mean, there's so many issues in education that uh, I just, I don't see them ending anytime soon. Uh, maybe I'm being too, uh, cynical about that uh but i at this point i feel like i'm having a uh, a bigger impact and a bigger reach with the work that i'm doing with the nonprofit that i'm having in the classroom and that's okay you know you're not you're never going to reach every kid in the classroom but knowing that my time can be better spent in an organization that's actually impacting every kid that we help with either with shoes or scholarships or whatever it might be to me that just seems to be more of worth my time even if the paycheck might not that be that big because social services and anybody who's trying to help it just community out there's no money in that, but I'm trying to have a, uh, an impact in my community and uh, hopefully spread that love to uh, at least the, the senior component, spread it to uh, maybe one day even to other other states or communities like Oakland. Uh, I think that's definitely what, where we want to go moving forward. And then hopefully one day open up our own school. And if the district or the state ain't going to fix the problems that we have in education, then I think we're going to take a stab at it and see if we can fix it. Uh, with our own private school, which is a whole different topic that, that some people fight me on when I say private school, because when you look at the leaders and the people who control private schools, they usually don't work for people like us. Uh, yeah. But I think if you have the right headed leader spirit here in that, I think it could work for people like us. Oh, I look forward to that because you know, I hear private school and I already go to a negative space. For me, uh, while I do see myself in education, uh, when I'm ready to give up coaching, is when I'll make the transition to uh, being a, a AP and maybe a principal. I just like, for me, I'm a product of 100% public school, not in Texas and Washington State, but I'm still I'm a product of public school. And so I want to, I want to stay, I want to stay in this space to see, like, I know I will be able to reach every student, but I know every student that I do reach, I can have an impact on. So I just want to keep doing that and seeing what, seeing how far I can take the like my personal change and implement it. And if it doesn't work, then I'm always willing to move to another state if that's was that's the case. Uh when me and my wife decide it's that time. But I do want to stay in the uh, public education realm. I might be a little hobbit fighting a dragon, but 
I have a nice shiny store while I'm fighting that dragon. Well, actually, it was just adding details to my um, career dream board that I was looking at the other night. And actually, so yes, I've been in nonprofit for the past nine months, I think at this point, but I'm actually transitioning into a classroom. So I'm super excited about that. I feel like, Jesse, we're kind of swapping roles where we're on one end and then we're moving into each other's own end. Um, So I'm surprised that you say like that's the direction that you want to go in and doing what you do full time, which is awesome. Like I, I don't, you know, want to push you away from that or anything. Um, just from my experience, it always feels like um working. Like today I was picking up iPads around town because we needed to collect all the iPads back up. But I mean, sneakers are awesome. Like I know a lot of people who are into shoes and I think that's like a really awesome approach to reaching students and showing them that someone cares about them. So that's pretty neat. Um, but yeah, so for me, for the next five years or within the next five years, I do see myself teaching and coaching. And I I want to try and bring more health education into the community. Um, I think that's something that we don't really talk about at home, even like as a family, we don't talk about like health, know how to eat healthy, exercise, mental health, all of that good stuff. So I think that's something that I would like to try and start exploring with the high school, seeing if we could do like any health fairs, um, something like that. Um, Another goal within the five years, and this will probably be more like be on year five, is working more with the athletes, with the student athletes, and kind of merging what I learned from Equal Scholars and the way Equal Scholars works with the student athletes. So a lot of the times what I noticed, especially when I was in high school, um, some of the coaches were all about like their, their athletes, right? Go, go pass the test or go talk to your teacher so that you can pass this six weeks so that you can play. But once they're done with the season, they kind of don't care about that student anymore. Same thing with high schools. Like once they're done with high school, it's just like, okay, yeah, there were a, a student in my team and they stopped caring. But I think there's so much more that they are able to achieve, especially the ones that receive scholarships to go and play sports. They've been so focused on how do you succeed in basketball or in volleyball, but they don't ever focus on how do you succeed academically or being a student athlete. So that's something that I would want to tackle on, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I like that. Thank you both. Uh, Thank you for your insight. Don't worry, nothing too controversial was said. I appreciate both your input and I look forward to talking to you both again. And may you both have great school years as my school year starts on Monday. I don't know. Uh, y'all got a couple more weeks, but great school years ahead. And yeah, so thank you. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Apples and Coffee. And I hope you have a great day.